This is the Horse Radio Network. Hi, Glenn here, founder of the Horse Radio Network. Your regularly scheduled program will begin in just a minute. We wanted to make you aware of three fantastic new shows on the Horse Radio Network. Horsemanship Radio, hosted by Monty Roberts' daughter, Debbie Laux, explores the world of good natural horsemanship. Blaze Kids Radio, brought to you by the Blaze Kids Magazine, is a fun program designed for horse-crazy kids and teens and hosted by a 13-year-old. Plus, our own Helena B. has a new show called Chasing a Fox that looks into the world of fox hunting and fashion. You can find all of our shows, including these new ones, at horseradionetwork.com or by downloading our five-star rated iPhone or Android app. It's free. Just go to the App Store today and search for Horse Radio Network. It's the easiest way to listen to all of our shows. Now on with your regularly scheduled program. This is episode 234 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you by the Horse Radio Network and our generous sponsors, Equisketch and EasySignsOnline.com. This is Reese Koffler-Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Well, so, Reese, um, I saw you not too long ago, so this is just kind of a, I feel a so revisit. Lucky. I feel so <laughs> lucky. I have seen you so much in the last two We've months. We've been it's hanging wonderful. out a lot together. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, had, we really did. We had a, a wonderful trip to um, Baltimore and just a great time seeing some old friends and making some new friends and uh, laughing a lot and, and working pretty hard and uh, just a wonderful week at Hassler Dressage it, it, or four days. It's very, very cool. Yeah, event. I mean, that's a highlight on, our, on both of our schedules. We've now made it together nine years in a row. <laughs> Unbelievable, Philip. I can't believe it. There's... um. They're apparently there are 180 alumni of this program, and I think there are four of us that have gone all nine years. Um, and I'm really looking forward to. I cannot believe it'll be a decade next year, uh, but I'm already looking forward to it for sure. <laughs> it's such a fun thing the the Young Dressage Horse Trainer Symposium, and and they have wonderful clinicians that come in, Michael Klimka and Ingo Papa, and of course um, Scott Hassler, who is the director of um, young horse training for the U.S. is just all, all great minds who train in similar programs and uh, and are wonderful and are, are great to to impart their knowledge on a group of um, of young horse trainers and just trainers and and we talk about training we talk about horses we talk about all kinds of problems and and um, you know we see our friends from all over North America and uh, it's awesome so did you have a good time? Oh my gosh, I had a great time. I really did. And I came home, you know, Monday and I was ready to work the horses. Uh, I don't know if they were as ready for me as I was I know for that them. Happens, eh? when you, when you <laughs> get was, a little bit of a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Yeah, it was all exciting. <laughs> yes, I was all excited and I told my students, "Get ready." Um so we've had a really really good week. Even we've actually had some uh, tricky weather and um for all our friends in Indiana and Illinois, um there were terrible tornadoes. We we kind of got the end of 
of that. Um, so I hope you all are safe and sound. Yeah, it was I mean, really terrible. I was, I was stuck in uh, at JFK Airport because I was just hearing about all this weather that was happening across the country, and you know I was worried about you know my family at home and you know where was the storm, and it was it was a bad day for me. I was supposed yeah. to land uh, in the afternoon and didn't uh, didn't get in. Oh, till midnight, one o'clock, and uh, yeah, I was very worried about this whole situation. So yeah, yeah, yeah our best wishes go out to yeah, go out to everybody. Hope we're okay, and uh, and uh, and to the horses as well. Of yeah, course. exactly. So, Philip, what was what your biggest takeaway from the weekend? Oh, you're gonna put me on the spot a little bit about. I this. am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there's so many things to uh, to learn from these. I mean, um, what great teaching styles, the patience. That they showed, you know, in, in helping the riders and, and patients, you know, um, with the horses and, and how they how they try and advance the horses and teach them things without, you know, putting a lot of pressure on them and, and uh, you know, getting the job done, but making sure that the horses uh, horses have fun. And, and I really saw this illustrated here with, uh, with one horse. I won't name any names, but it was a really great lesson in which... Um, you know, we saw this horse that needed a little bit of improvement in self-carriage and a little bit of improvement uh, in the canter. And, um, you know, she was a, a little bit of a fussier mare where, you know, we thought, well, you know, are we going to put a little bit more pressure on the horse to carry herself better? Or is, how is that going to go? Is she going to get cranky? You know, and what I, did, what I saw was a, just a really patient approach that got the job done. And, you know, a little bit in the middle of the lesson, the horse was a little... Um, how do I put it? Not upset, but you know, thinking about the work and thinking that it was really hard. And I thought, okay, you know, how's this going to end? But then, you know, when the horse and the rider really clicked together and got the idea of this, you know, self-carriage and of you know, really good collection and getting into the working pirouettes, you know, the picture at the end was just of a really happy horse and a really harmonious like um, picture. And I thought, yeah, that's a that's a really good example of, you know. Um, working the horse and teaching it something and, and you know, having a little pressure on it. And at the end, the horse got a really clear picture and was really calm and happy about it, you know. And so I thought, well, you know, we can do that. We can train horses and we can, you know, we can we can um, ask them to work a little bit harder. And at the end, if they appreciate it, they're going to show us. And if they understand, they're going to show us and we're going to have an even better horse and an even happier horse. So... I think that's uh, that's a great lesson and something that we should always strive for in our coaching and in our riding is to uh, to get the job done in a good way and to you know meet goals and expectations and and that the horse can be happier for it at the end as well. So that's fun. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And and just the systematical approach that they took was really and clear. There was a clear path that they wanted to take the horse down and yeah. the rider. Clear and, and firm, thought, and really yep. firm, and saying, "Okay, yep. you're going to do this, right?" And not yep. saying, you know, uh, you know, we always talk about you know asking the question and then making a little bit of a demand on the horse, and and they do a good job. They do a really good job mm-hmm. reading the horse and understanding what they need at the right moments. I think is uh, yeah. You know, lots. Of, I mean, there's lots of little tidbits, and okay, here, you know, your shoulder in should be a little more like this and that. You know, there's always those little things, but I think we try and look at the big picture on on how to train horses and how to do a good job, and and uh, I think that's what I that's what I take away. So, yeah, no, I agree. Well said, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well said. And, no, and but that it- we can always have a lot of friends, and we can have fun doing it too, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, everyone says, oh, well, trainers, um, you know, this is our job. 
uh, for sure. And, and if you're in any other career, professional development and going, uh, you know, uh, physician development, whatever, whatever in career you're in, continuing education. Thank you. That was, that was what I was looking for. And, and these are so important. And, um, I think, you know, as trainers, it's sometimes hard to step back and say, okay, I do need to go away for a couple days and just focus on, yeah, focus, take it on myself and, and sit down and take notes and not always be the one that's sort of, uh, in charge of the operation. Um, and so it's really nice to do that. And, and, um, my students are, are so kind and, and very encouraging and yeah, yeah, have a great time, bring back lots of knowledge. So, um, I think it's good for all of us to step back and, and take some time and, and for us to really work on ourselves and our teaching style. So, yeah. I and, really and I think the, the other thing that I take away just in the last point about this is that, um, you know, we, this is our profession and all that, but it's also a competitive sport. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, this creates a little bit problems in our relationships with other trainers and, and, you know, with other riders and things like this. And, and I really like this conference because it's a bunch of trainers that get, get together and have a little fun and let loose a little bit. And, and, you know, everybody there has mutual respect for everybody. And this is a really great environment to train on because I think when we, when we can get together, we can do a lot of good for horses and we can do a lot of good for our students and, and, and it can be fun. And, you know, I see, I see this a lot at shows and I feel it shows there's a lot of pressure to ride and to get scores and, and that our fellow trainers are also, you know, our competition. And then that creates a strange dynamic and, um, it's not, it's not as fun. So I think we all have to remember that, okay, we're, we're competing against each other, but we're also, we can also help each other and, and we can be friends and we can work together. So I think, that's something that, that that has taught me over and this is why it's such a great a great thing. It's more than just yeah. a clinic. It's more than just a you know, uh learning about riding and learning about training. It's just it's friendships and it's I mean that's how you and I know each other. Yeah, and, and that's how exactly we're doing right. This, this show yeah. and all these great yeah. things that have come of that and and yeah. um you know, so I'd like to, you know, continue with that sentiment when I come home yeah. and I go to shows, you know, to try and be friendly and trying to work with other trainers and and, um, you know, there's enough dressage to go around for everyone. So, and it's yeah. a tough business and it's a hard life. And, uh, you know, that's something that, uh, Scott has, uh, has taught us about professional relationships as well. So that's really fun. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. Well said. All right. Sure. Well, so saying that now on to the dressage radio show, what do, you <laughs> today? what do we got? Yeah, we have an awesome show. This is the third week of the month. So Hillary, uh, more Hebert is on from dressage today. She is our favorite. I think Philip and I both enjoy this segment, uh, the most Bring us uh, great Adam. topics and great. Yeah, content love it. About. So, uh, that's one of our problems is trying to figure out what, what each show should contain and who to have on as guests. So, uh, Hillary, yep. uh, yeah, brings Love, Hillary. Great, great stuff to our show. <laughs> yep. She's so great. I think she's a good trainer too. So, uh, you know, that perspective as well is uh, wonderful to hear about. So, Exactly. So we have Hillary and then we have a friend of ours from the conference. Uh, we were sitting around and we the topic of non-traditional breeds sort of came up in, in a small group. Uh, after the clinic, we were all sitting in the hotel lobby just kind of relaxing with a cup of tea and a coffee. And um, Angie Bean, a friend of ours, was sitting with us and we started talking and we said, great, come on the show on Thursday. A lot, so. Yeah, a lot of experience with, these, mm-hmm. with non-traditional breeds. And uh, we said, you know, she was really, she had captivated us with some of her stories. So we were happy to say, come on the show. Everybody needs to hear about this. So uh, I think this is going to be a great interview. I'm really looking forward to it. Exactly. So after this commercial break, we'll jump right into Hillary Moore Hebert, Senior Editor from Dressage Today. Mm-hmm. 
With Christmas season fast approaching, it's time to start planning a custom gift that will last for many years to come. Visit our friends at ezsignsonline.com and browse their unique website for their many custom sign options and styles. With affordable prices for customized signs starting at $39.95, your holiday gift giving just got easier. Their step-by-step online sign ordering process allows you to choose only the sign options you want and see all the pricing up front. From horse farm entrance signs, vinyl banners, magnetic vehicle signs to stall nameplates, and much, much more for every horse owner. They ship to every state in the U.S., so take advantage of an additional 10% off coupon to all Horse Radio Network listeners. Simply mention HRN13 when ordering. That's HRN13. A $75 order minimum for discount. Cannot be combined with other discounts or coupons. Free shipping also applies to most sign orders, so see the website for details. Place your order early to allow plenty of time for Christmas delivery. Check out the website today at ezsignsonline.com. That's ezsignsonline.com or call them at 1-800-640-8180. That's 1-800-640-8180. Well, it is the third... Our third show of the month, and I am so excited. Our favorite segment of the month, Hillary Moore Hebert from Dressage Today. She is the senior editor, and she is on the show to talk about the tips from the magazine. Hi, Hillary. Welcome back. Hi. We love having you. I'm having some dog interference here. The problem with being an animal lover, as we all are, is to hear a little bit of quiet barking. I apologize. So. You know what, um, Hillary? I think everyone's used to here in my barn, if it's feeding time, if we at all record at feeding time, yeah, everybody can hear my young horse. He screams his head off. I think he knows. He's so we're hungry. On. Yeah, he's starving. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the dogs are starved for attention as well. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, Well, Hillary, what do we have this month in dressage today? Yeah, so speaking of taming animals, uh, (laughs) we had a great article. um, We're starting with our December issue. Anya Barron talks about starting the young horse, and she really is an advocate for using classical methods. And I think she had some neat tips that kind of combine together. She talks about before you do mounted work and introduce the horse to the rider that you want to do a bunch of things that you get your horse used to that. And that starts with doing lunging, putting the equipment on and doing all of those things in the riding arena so that you're really setting them up. And before you start with putting someone on their back, um, all of the other aspects of things are really ingrained and you're comfortable with how they respond to that. So that includes putting a bridle and saddle on, launching them, getting them used to the person who's going to give voice commands so that when you put the rider on, and we'll cover that in our January issue, um, all you need to do is have the rider eventually get on, but then you'll just move on to just lunging as if you hadn't had them. And you kind of know that that's, uh, you know, a, a good starting point, and you take your time to make sure that it's under control and really straightforward. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big proponent of this, taking quite a bit of time to do all this and to introduce everything before the rider gets on so that the rider is almost like 
another piece of equipment. I like to do it so that the rider is not really doing anything, that they are just being lunged like they know, like the horse is being lunged as they normally would just with a rider being on the back so that the rider, you know, maybe, you know, is not putting their leg on and it's just being very quiet. And so it's just another step. Instead of adding a bunch of steps all at once where the rider gets on, is pulling on the reins, is trying to steer, trying to... I mean, that's that can be very overwhelming and to lead to a very bad experience. I mean, a lot of horses are good and you can just go, you know, boom, boom, boom and just do it. But there's always the one where you never know at what step you're going to have problems. So I think, you, you know, really break it down step by step so that, you know, if there is an issue, you can say, yeah, that's exactly what the problem was because that's the only, the, the, the only new thing that was introduced. So, um, yeah, take your time with your own horses because it pays off in the end, really, in trust and in, uh, you know, when you, when, you, when you go to new experiences beyond that to a show or something that the horse is just very trusting of the whole situation because as soon as you break that trust, it's such a long road to go back and to redo everything all over again and, and not have the horse really willing and accepting. So well, I think that's a great point. Yeah, great article. She says that in, um, it's funny that you said that, or not funny, it's interesting you said that it's a long road once you've broken that trust because in part two, which I'll give you guys a sneak peek, she has a sidebar called the intolerable buck and says that this is the most important time to be teaching the horse what's right and also how to behave properly. Otherwise, this is the majority of the reason that you see horses, you know, having to go to um, not so great places. You see riders in hospitals because there's sort of these make or break moments in the beginning um, where they need to have a clear outline of where they're allowed to be and what they should be doing. Well, and it is so important. I mean, that's it's such a vital part of a horse's um, career is the the beginning. And if you're not, you know, I always tell people, if you don't have a system and you're not confident doing it, you need to find somebody that is. And I'm, I can even say that for my own self. I have no problem doing the groundwork, uh, but I personally, I bring in the mounted police. Um, they come in, they work with them, they have the time, they have the patience, they do it all the time. And then my guys go to a group where that's what they do. They break horses all day, all year. And I don't, that's not my specialty. And so I have no problem. I'm certainly capable. I certainly can do all of it. But I think I have found in my own program, I don't have the time. I don't have the staff to do that dedicated job. So it it is just such a vital part. And when you're really confident at it and you do it all the time, you know, you don't make the mistakes maybe that you would make if you, if you don't have that experience and it'll carry on with that horse for a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, just taking your time, like, I, you know, when I get horses in to, to do this with, I mean, they'll come in from another farm or, or sometimes right out of the paddock or whatever. I mean, it takes a month just to get to know the horse, right? I really want to be able to read, you know, that horse and what it's thinking and what it's doing and how it's going to react so that there, there is a development, of, you know, a, a sort of a bond of trust that the horse has with the person on the ground before that person becomes the rider, you know, so... Um, if you're going quick, quick, quick all the time, you, you know, the, you're not really treating the horse as an individual and it becomes more of a kind of a factory riding situation in which you're just doing this, then I do that. And then, it, you know, I, I, you got to understand it's a, it's a horse with a brain and they're all a little bit different. And um, I know that people who back horses and, and do this, 
Um, everybody has a little bit of a different take on it and a little bit of a different um, system. You know, I use a I use some ground driving. Not everybody does it, and I, you know, I don't care. But I like to be able to steer before I get on and, and stop. And you know, so that's one of the things that we do. And everybody does something a little bit different. But I think those who do it well always take their time. So I think that's a great to have an article dedicated to that, and not to think that you can have a three year old. Back it in thirty days, and then just go to a show or something. It's just—it's not how it works. So, mm-hmm. I wish yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say that would be awesome. Yeah, just kidding. <laughs> so, Hillary, what's our next tip? So, speaking of taking your time and sort of mapping out a plan, Kara Kirkland uh, really talks about how to train for competitive riding in her article that is from her book as a special excerpt that we got to do. And we chose this because we thought it was really important. And it's not just for riders who are going to be going to the shows. It's more, I think, a way for her to talk about the fact that a lot of riders who are successful at shows have a long-term plan. And with that comes short-term goals. And her tip was really looking at, you know, what the plan is. Don't just get on and ride and say, okay, 45 minutes is up. That's the end of it. Really have a plan and at the same time have a plan at the shows and, um, you know, know what your purpose is and figure out what you have for your warm-up, figure out what you have for your work session, why are you doing it, and not to be distracted whether you're at home or in the ring um, by what other people are doing for their warm-up and really just focusing on, what is best for you and your horse. And I think that this is a great thing that also applies to the young horses, like what we were just talking about, where she's talking about, you know, working with um, a trainer if you need help, but uh, just coming up with a plan of why you're doing what you're doing every day with your horse. And I thought that was really helpful. And I do the same thing with all of my students in terms of coming up with, you know, their short-term goals, knowing what level they're really working at, even if they don't ever go to shows. Yeah, I think that that's the biggest thing. You know, people get, you get nervous. Everyone does, even professionals um, at a show. And and when you have a plan, when you're able to say, okay, this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to do at this point, it makes such a difference. Um, and so we work a lot and talk a lot about that at My Barn. Um, and we also, you know, we use schooling shows for that type. And we don't say, oh, it's just a schooling show. Nope. The horses are braided. Everybody wears their the stuff that they're going to wear at the recognized show because it's just part of the plan getting to the recognized show and getting to whatever goal you have for that year. Um, so I think that, that it, it, people don't train that enough. So I think that that's a huge important thing to work on. Yeah, I mean I like to ride kind of a little bit every day like I would in a warm-up for a show. And then by the end of my ride, I want to run through – a few of the movements so that, you know, it's kind of like when I do get to a show, I know what my, I know what my ride feels like and looks like. And so, you know, every day I'm a little bit preparing the horse for, you know, maybe it's just a certain segment section of the, of the test or of a particular test or, or something to, or just a few movements in a pattern, but okay, I go through, I do a walk warm up, trot warm up, canter warm up, and then I start to do a little bit of movements. And by the end, I say, okay, now I'm going to go movement to movement to movement to movement to say, okay, this is a little bit like a test situation so that it's not scary when you get to a show and that you can say, okay, my goal is to ride such and such a test. I've been going through it, even if it's piece by piece, you know, 
for a long, you know, every day for a long time. And then it just feels like it flows. So I say, or I go through and I say, I start to ride the movements. I say, oh, that doesn't feel right. Um, I'm going to go back and rework that movement so that, you know, I've done the warm up for the movements, you know, for instance, like a pirouette, right? I've done the warm up for a pirouette, then I've done a few pirouettes, and then I, and then I do, a, you know, a changes line to, um, some tubby changes to a pirouette. Oh, does that all feel like it, it's good and it flows? And, you know, there's a plan for our riding. And, and, and when you're involved in dressage as the sport, um, you know, you've, you've got very um, concrete goals about, you know, being able to ride a test. So I think every day it's reminders about that and being ready to, to, uh, to do a show at any point. I mean, we're in the winter right now. There's no shows coming out, but I'm still riding like, okay, I'm going to be, you know, I'm getting ready for uh, the next competition. So I think that's uh, important to, um, you know, keep your eyes on the prize day by day. So I have, I have a question for both you guys. Um, do you guys school the test from start to finish? Hillary, do you do that? Do you do that with your own writing and with your students or do you not school the test? Yes, I do school the test and I have my students do it as well. And I know that it's not perfect for everyone to do that, but the reason I do it is, um, or rather to clarify when I have the upper level work, I will school the test. And for me, it's just because of, um, you know, a sports psychology thing where I feel like it's easier to do it when I really repeat it and feel comfortable with it from beginning to end. Um, but then the rest of the time, I don't do the pieces the same way. So if I'm going to do something and, you know, run through the pieces, I'll usually do the entire canter tour and then leave it for the week um, versus kind of doing pieces here and there. But, um, you know, then on other times in the off season, I'll school um, more like, you know, preparing for it, that kind of thing. And I'll go back to those pieces when I feel like it's not there and I've run through it. Um, for my students, I generally have them run through the test completely, but mostly because I think, as you guys were saying before, it's really good as a goal. So I don't do it frequently with them, but I think it's really good for them once a month to just run through the whole thing and feel as though at least through the winter time they've run through it once a month so they feel really comfortable with it and they know that they're still on track and that when we get to the show season that for us starts in about the end of April, um, we all feel as though we've run through the pieces enough and the whole test that it, we really haven't mastered when we go to the show, but we haven't been drilling it, you know, eight times every single day, if that answers your question. Yeah. And, and for us, I mean, I think as we get closer to the show season, we're schooling the tests more, but um, like I said, you know, I'm just kind of doing the pieces at the moment and, you know, preparing for kind of thinking about what, what tests do we want to ride next year and where are we at and what are we going to be doing? So, um, it's not a regular thing to be doing, but, uh, in show season, at least in the, um, you know, as we're leading up to show season, we got to be schooling the test. And then during the season, because of, you know, how the shows are and, you know, you, you, we try to get a little bit away from it again because, then you're ending up doing the tests a lot because you're going to a show maybe every two weeks or something. And, and so, yeah. uh, like Hillary said, just kind of getting comfortable with it and, and knowing over the winter that, yes, there, this is our goal and this is what we're going to be have to be doing eventually. And then, uh, you know, lots of preparation coming into the season. And then during the season, kind of doing other things with the horses so they don't get too sour on, on, you know, there's only three tests per level sort of thing. So 
Um, and then just gauging, you know, how everybody's feeling about it, how the horses are, you know, how each individual horse is feeling about, uh, you know, drilling the test. Or if it helps some people, we do it more. If it doesn't, we don't. There's no uh, no real black and white. But uh, for sure, um, you know, coming up to the show, yeah, every horse is run through the test that they're going to do quite a few times. So, yeah. I go. do. I mean, I, I ask that question and we do. Um, I, I feel pretty strongly that, you know, you need to run through it because sometimes there's certain movements that on paper, they don't look that challenging. Like, yeah, oh, I can get that stretchy trot. But when you, you know, add in the lengthening, this is in first level and it, yeah, the it's lengthen tricky. Before, yeah. Lengthen before, then the stretchy yeah, circle, the then you have a collected yeah. walk or a medium walk score. You ride that, and if you don't know sort of how to ride it and how to plan for it, um, it doesn't go very well. So, yeah, I mean, it can point out holes mm-hmm. in the training yeah. a little bit, right? And yeah. say, wait, I need to work on that for a couple of weeks and then and then come back to it as a test in the hole. So, right. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's handy, so sure. yeah, so we do. But I think, you know, again, I, well, you have three people, you know, three trainers that do, um, but you could ask 10 trainers and get 50 50. I mean, some people don't, some people do. Uh, but I, I don't know. I'm a planner, so I like to know. Well, I like to know I, what's up. I forgot to mention too that this is actually my own personal training tip. My students frequently come to me and say they don't know what to do between lesson days, and I actually enter A, B, and C in training one, two, and three. And I actually will have them if they're like really intense people that kind of are obsessed about contact or you know, my horse is in forward or whatever, and they kind of go circle, a circle, circle, and kind of hyper-focus on things, I'll actually have them memorize that, and what their ride is for a given day would be go down center line, start intro A, finish at center line, and pick up intro B, and go all the way up through training three, and, you know, you have your little walk breaks because of the free walk, and for them, they actually can run through those tests and maybe mix it up so you start with training three and then go to training one. Um, but they may not be competing at that level, but for them, it gives them a lot of focus. So I forgot to mention that, that I have some students who they actually run through quote unquote tests um, for their whole ride, sometimes every single ride. I love that. That's yeah, great. that's an interesting strategy. Yeah. I, I like, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, everybody's really an indiv- individual, right? And we all mm-hmm. learn in different ways, and we all have to figure out how to get our, you know, our own individual best performance out. So, whatever tricks and tips that people have, send them in. We love to hear. Yeah, them. And, love to hear uh, them. And Hillary, that that's a great one for uh, for certain people, right? Only for certain people that only works, right? Otherwise, I know yeah. certainly I have some riders that that would definitely not work for, but. Uh, yeah, that sounds good. So what else is in the magazine coming up in December? Okay, so in in regards to planning, again, we have an article um, call about juggling uh, dressage in college, and we interviewed some of the top young riders and asked them how they did it. And I was, first of all, very surprised to see that the majority of the people that are at doing, you know, uh, NAJYRC and, and going to the big shows and everything, they're um, not holding off college as much as I feel like my friends and I did when we were that age. Um, and so it's a really neat article. It gives people the ideas about how to juggle things, uh, whether it's doing school online uh, or, you know, going to a traditional school and maybe talking with them about uh, the needs that you have to be able to maintain your training schedule 
and figuring out how you can do that. And then also, of course, um, majoring in equine studies in some way. But every single person that we interviewed actually had such a different response that it was really fascinating to me. Yeah. And this is something that's sort of near and dear to my heart because I went through this the same way. You know, I, um, uh, just my own personal story is that I went, um, before I went to college, I did a year in Germany and then I came back and I went to the university of Kentucky for undergrad, um, because my parents, we had a farm here in Lexington. So, um, you know, my mom was huge and, and helping me kind of get through that college time. You know, I could come, I could ride my horse, but I could go back to school and I lived on campus. I didn't live at the farm. Um, so I had a tremendous amount of support that way. Um, and then, um, after, after school, I was running my training business when I went to graduate school. I decided to go to grad school. Um, but, but the same thing. I had, the, I had great support. I had gone to another year in Germany. Um, I actually went to a semester to Palm Beach Community College because my dad said to me, he said, um, yeah, you've got to stay in school. But that was sort of a challenge for me because I was like, well, I have a horse. I want to do the Pan Am trials. So I researched colleges uh, close to Wellington. And there is a great community college there. So uh, I came back to my dad and I said, well, I can stay in school. I can go to Palm Beach Community College and I can still go to Florida, right? And he said, well, I, I, I guess you were. He wasn't as specific of the college I had to attend. Um, but no, so I, and actually I, I had a great time uh, at PBCC and, and really enjoyed that. Um, so I am, I am a huge personal advocate of school and it is possible. Uh, I have parents say, oh my God, you're not going to be able to do school on a horse. Uh, I think you can. I think you can be competitive. I think um, I have a lot of riders um, since our barn is pro school here. Uh, I have right now three riders that are in full-time college and have horses in training here. So we support, we provide the support my mom provided me uh, here at the barn. Um, so it is possible. You just maybe have to be slightly creative about the way that you do it. So, but I'm pretty passionate ab- about it that way. Yeah, I think there's a lots of ways to do it, but I think the common theme between them all is is having a team and the support to be able to do it. Right? I mean, uh, even as a professional in this industry, we don't do it alone, right? And and we all have other interests other than horses and and things that we like to do. And uh, it wouldn't be possible without great staff, without great you know, people behind us and a great family. And, and so I think that's, you have to, if you're wanting to do something like that, you know, go to school and ride competitively, you have to talk to everyone you can around you and see what you can do to make that possible because I think it, it can. And, and you never know where that support will come from or, or who can help you out in those situations. So um, if you put it all on yourself to do, it's just not going to happen. I mean, there's lots of uh, really highly ambitious and super people around, but um, you know, you can't just say, you know, you can't put it all on yourself to do everything. Right. And so you got to search out some help. So I think that's, uh, that's great. Hillary, how about our fourth tip from dressage today? Yes. So the last tip that we have, and this is one of my favorites is, um, we did an article. It was a profile on Balaguer, the Orloff Trotter that, um, competed and went on to the Olympics, but he started out as um, a racehorse and then he moved on to being a police horse and there he was discovered and he went on 
to not only become a um, high-performance horse and compete on the international stage, but in the article, we actually got photos sent um, over from Europe, and he is still teaching people how to do all of the movements up to the Grand Prix, and he has the cutest face, um, and when you look at it, you will see what they mean in the article when they say that it's like he was about to speak to you, because looking at him, he just is so smart, and it really is amazing to see that you don't need to have some super fancy million-dollar warm blood to be able to compete at the Olympic level and to have a horse that not only can do that, but then has the personality to be able to go on and be a schoolmaster for the younger riders. So I think that that is just a really neat story. There's a lot of awesome pictures and, um, you know, it's just a great lesson. Oh, what an angel. I know. I I think that you can find horses. I mean, dressage is training and and I think there's so many horses out there that kind of get overlooked because they're not a warm blood and, and you never know where you can find that horse. So uh, what an inspiration for sure. I think for sure. I mean, I talk about this all the time. I mean, it, you know, people go and they look out for horses and they're trying to find a horse and, you know, everybody's looking, oh, it has a great walk, has a great trot. Oh, look at this canter. I think the most important thing about a horse is his trainability, his heart, right? And I love to hear about these stories where horses with huge hearts and want to learn and want to try for the rider. That's what it takes to get to the top. It doesn't, you know, the uh, athleticism and all that, those things help, but it just takes you know, a really good solid brain and a great horse that you can make a partnership. And I think that's what's the most beautiful part of our sport. And uh, these, these stories are great about horses that had a different career and then, and then switched and can do another thing really well. And, and uh, that's, you know, really awesome, heartwarming. Well, Hillary, as always, you have some fabulous tips. And how do our listeners find um, some more information for, about you and also dressage today? So you can check us out at dressagetoday.com and you can find us on Facebook and also we have a Pinterest page and a Twitter feed. So you can check us out all over the internet and we hope that you will think about picking up an issue at your local tax shop and reading more from those awesome tips. Well, as always, that was a great segment from Hillary, and I think her last tip will bring her bring us in nicely to our conversation with Angie Bean about non-traditional breeds right after this commercial break. Glenda Geek here. The life of horse person is hard enough, and we all hate doing the required paperwork, and unfortunately, many of us never get around to it, and it just piles up on our desk. That is about to change thanks to the EquiSketch Records app for your iPhone or iPad. My wife and I use it to track our horses, and we absolutely love this thing. EquiSketch Records is the most thorough and complete equestrian records app on the market today. We love this app because you can track your farrier work, your dental, your Coggins, medicines, worming, and so much more. And you can get reminders on your device when all of these things are due. You'll never forget a worming or shots or farrier visit again. But it not only tracks your horse, you can also manage your horse shows, including individual events. You can manage riders, including lessons and memberships and so much more. And you can sync it between your iPhone and your iPad and all of this for the price of a couple of cups of coffee from Starbucks. 
Search for EquiSketch Records in the iOS App Store or go to EquiSketch.com. That's E-Q-U-I-S-K-E-T-C-H.com. EquiSketch.com. Well, it is our pleasure to have our friend Angie Bean, who is the head trainer at Straightforward Dressage on the radio show. Angie, welcome. Hello. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you. And uh, last week at the Young Horse Conference, we were all sitting around um, after the conference and chatting. And we started talking with Angie about sort of non-traditional dressage breeds. So, Angie, tell us a little bit about your experience with non-traditional breeds. Um, I have trained several non-traditional um, dressage breeds up the levels. Uh, the ones that are most known about, uh, there was a Morgan Stallion that I took to pre-St. George. Um, and I wrote an article about it that hit three or four different magazines and it was called the dressage experiment. And in it, I discussed, you know, do warm bloods have a better advantage in dressage because they are warm bloods or because most warm bloods get better instruction than the average, um, non-warm blood. And, you know, I kind of compared that. Um, and then most recently I have an Arabian Frisian cross that I've been competing and doing quite well on. And we competed, um, at the region one championship and at sport horse nationals this year. Wow. I mean, that's that's excellent. So if we can go backwards a little bit, back to that uh, Morgan horse that you rode and trained to Priest St. George, can you tell us a little bit about that story, how he came to you and and you know how you developed the horse and, and brought it through the dressage ranks? Um, well, that story is kind of a, a funny story. I was fairly young and starting in my career. I was still freelancing. And I was teaching a clinic down in Maryland, and a lady showed up with three Morgans. And I rode... Um, I helped her with the two mares and she asked me to ride the stallion. And he uh, was a little 15 hand rocket ship. And I got on his back and he was all kinds of nervous at first because he had no idea who I was. And he went around being all kinds of nervous. And the goal was to have him find one of his canter leads. And about halfway through the ride, he relaxed. And he decided that what I was doing up there was all right. And he relaxed so apparently that everyone in the room was like, wow, something just happened there. And a few months later, she is in the um, Navy reserves, and she was called on active duty. So she didn't want to leave her farm in the hands of a farm sitter with a stallion on it. So she called me and asked me if I would take him in training. And I think I had uh, rented my first farm weeks before she called. So I took him in training. And I made the offhanded remark that I thought I could get the first degree St. George. And what I hadn't considered at the time is that he was 10, and he'd been doing combined driving, which meant that he knew to counter flex in the corner so the cart didn't hit the wall and he didn't canter under saddle and somehow I um, managed to do her what I told her I would do and I'm not quite sure how it happened but partly because it was just a really really terrific horse who tried really really hard um, to do whatever I needed him to do and part of it because you know I did get the right help at the right time you know there were definitely some challenges that came with him particularly that he didn't canter and I think that's kind of why we ended up stopping at Free St. George because the canter, you know, work never got as solid as the trot work, but it was really fun to work with him because he just tried every time you went in the ring. That seems to be kind of a theme we've been, you know, talking about on today's show is, is really the heart of the horse. And you, it sounds like you had that feeling from the beginning. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? Well, from the beginning, he really, he, he was always trying to kind of figure out what the game was and, the neat thing about him compared to a lot of the other horses I've worked, and the neat thing is that's also what's in the Frisian Arab mare that I ride now. 
um, the work ethic on both of those horses was, is just really, really amazing. Every day I'd come in the ring and I would say to him, you know, today you're going to learn to canter on the left lead and, and we're going to figure out how to canter on the left lead. And he just never got frustrated. He always tried. And when he did get frustrated later on, especially when we started getting into collecting canter for the pirouette work, he was always frustrated in a way that was trying to figure it out, not frustrated in a way to not do the work. And I think that's really what made the big difference for him is it was always, always for the rider. He never was against the rider. I don't think the horse ever said no. And even to this day, he's back with his owner now and she's um, learning to ride on him, learning like first, second level work on him. And even then, you know, the biggest problem she has is that he's trying so hard that she, you know, that, that he's throwing all the answers at her before she's really finished the question. I mean, that's just the kind of horse he is. And I think that's what made the difference regardless of what breed he happened to be. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, again, these are wonderful stories where you hear about just, you know, it doesn't matter about the breed of the horse. I mean, it's just, you know, a good horse is a good horse, right? And when they try, they you they, they can get their bodies to do anything that, that they want as long as they can understand what the rider wants. And if the, and if the horse... If the rider can really understand the horse and 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 figure out problems together and and work day by day towards uh, you know towards developing you know fitness and and suppleness and all, you know all the all the things of dressage you know it's not just just for warm bloods that dressage is for and and uh, lots of other horses can do amazing things and really you know figure themselves out and change in their bodies that's you know that's another great thing that the work does it it, it helps them become more athletic and 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 better and more beautiful and um it's just nice to see and it's nice when you get a horse um that you start with that doesn't know a whole lot and one that's going to going to try and going to learn i mean you just build that wonderful partnership and and it can go on for years and it's it's fantastic so i mean it's it's great to hear um you know another great story about that and and how you know all kinds of horses can make it to the FEI levels and and do a great job so um, tell yeah. us a little bit about your other horse, the Frisian uh, Arabian Cross, was that? Yeah, she's a Frisian Arabian Cross. Um, she was, the lady who owns her, his name is Linda Boots, and she bought her, She Linda had been riding maybe three or four months at the time that she bought her, and she bought this mare off of a video, and because she was such a novice, it didn't occur to her that if she was going to buy a riding horse, that the horse probably should be ridden in the video. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> See him ridden. Yeah. No. <laughs> but she bought her because she thought she, yeah, she thought she was pretty and she thought that she was friendly because she kept going in towards the person that was lunging her in oh, the middle of the ring. Lovely. Oh, yeah. Friendly killer. <laughs> and, and the other big thing that she bought her for was because she knew who the sire, the sire of her, the mare that she bought was the sire of the horse she was learning to ride on. And that sire is a Frisian who is now deceased. His name is, his name was Danny. And he, um, I had the horse that she had learned to ride on was learning to ride on was a Frisian Morgan cross that I had trained. And then the owner of that horse was now teaching lessons using him. And I had taken him to, I think second or third level. Um, so when she got her mare home and took her out of the trailer after the shipper convinced her, it really was the same horse that she saw in the video. It was December of the mare's five-year-old year. And uh, they figured out pretty quickly that if she had been backed and ridden, it had been probably when she was closer to two or three. So she, they sent her to a cowboy and he had her for four months. One of the, the really good ones in our area 
And even he only rode her for about six weeks of the four months. And he told Linda at the time that if this horse was going to be safe for her to ride, she needed to stay in professional help. So September of that year, she sent her to me and she called me and said, I want this horse to be like Teddy, the horse she was riding on. And I, I told her up front that it took me two years to get him there. And she gave me 90 days. Um, so the mare came in September and then she decided to leave her through the winter because we had an indoor and five years later, I'm, I'm still riding the mare. Uh, I've had some really terrific, terrific opportunities on her. She's caught a lot of people's attention because she does have such a terrific work, work ethic. I rode her in the region one adult symposium. Uh, I want to say it was four years ago for Charlotte Brendel Baker. And she loved the mare's work ethic and she has a lot of talent for the collected canner. Um, and then I've also ridden her for Debbie McDonald coming up in a couple of weeks will be the third time at Hasbro Dressage. And Debbie has been very complimentary of her work ethic and the very active hind leg that the mare has, you know, like most Frisian crosses and Frisians, the problem is getting the withers up and getting the neck out. But the big advantage that both this mare has and the little stallion I worked with is they both have really active hind legs. And if anything, they have a tendency to be a little quick behind. So by keeping the hind leg a little slower, they were both able to learn to lift their shoulders and give me the uphill carriage that we've needed. Well, the little mare kind of had a, a rock star season this year. She uh, ended up second in all breeds. She's been in the 70s repeatedly at, at second level. She won Arab Regionals at second level and was a reserve champion at third, uh, placed eighth in the nation at Fort Horse Nationals at third level, and was reserve champion at Fort Horse Nationals at second level. Um, and then my little brag on her is at regionals, you know, the mayor just tries really hard for me. We, uh, we actually got a 10 on harmony on our, our score sheet at the Arab regionals this year. Wow. Yeah. I I looked at it and I'm like, wow, um, I guess I've peaked now. I should go get an office job because it doesn't get any better than that. (laughs) That's a frame right Right? there. Right. You can retire. Yep. Yep. That's it. (laughs) That's fantastic. And so you have some experience, Angie, in the, in the breed specific shows as well, right? I have, I have. And, and what is your experience there? Because I have I have no idea anything either. about Zero that. Experience. So I mean, treat us like newbies. What is it like to show in and say the the Arab shows? And what is dressage to them? And and what is that all about? Um, Arab shows. Uh, the Arab shows are are really kind of fun. Just the Arab shows in general are very geared very different than a regular uh, USCF show. Uh, the Arab shows because there's the main ring things going on. That's where they have the English pleasure and the Western pleasure and the hunter pleasure. Those kind of classes are going on in, in the main ring. And then usually in another ring in the same area, uh, in the same facility, there's a dressage ring set up or two. Most of the shows we go to actually have two dressage rings. And then in another ring on the same facility in our area, there's usually a jumping ring set up. So there's all of these different events going on at the same time. And the Arab shows in general are geared towards the amateur owner more so than um, a dressage show. So there's usually some kind of competitor party in the evenings. The regional shows, uh, Region 15 has um, a lot of fundraising and uh, for the Horseman's Distress Fund and the Young uh, Young Rider Fund during the Region 15 show. So on, the, on one evening of the Region 15 show, there's always a progressive barn party where each of the different barns set out food and you go around and eat at the different foods. And then in the center courtyard this year, they had bull riding, um, a dunk tank and a pie in the face contest going on as fundraiser events. So there's a lot more recreational things going on around Sounds like just a big party. Yeah. It's a party with a horse show thrown in. (laughs) Why why did I not know about this? This is not okay. Yeah. Oh, wait, it gets better. They give amazing prizes 
And at Sport Horse Nationals, they pay back to the top ten of the uh, to the national top tens. So You're in the wrong sport, oh, Philip. This is I. Yeah. Okay. This is it. I'm, I'm going. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for an Arab tomorrow. They, they've done a very good job of getting the the spectator part of it, and it's actually you know with 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 Secret, the little Frisian Arab cross marriage. There's not a ton of competition at the local shows at the local Arabian shows for us, but we can qualify at a regular USDF show and then go to the regional show, which has enough competition for it to be really interesting. And then also qualify for sport horse national. And there was a lot of, of horses competing in dressage. The sport horse nationals this year, um, there were 596 trips down the center line in dressage. And it was everything from training level to Grand Prix. And of those 35 of them were FEI rides. Wow. That's great. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. And the scores, you know, the scores are lower than what I see when I go into a regular USDF show against the, against the warm bloods. But with the Arabs, it feels like we're kind of doing apples to apples and the scores are still plenty high. I mean, I had to pull a 70 to win uh, region 15 or 71, I think for region 15 at second level. And the, my reserve champion was a 69. So it's not like it was a walk in the park. And the scores are significantly high. And what we're seeing a lot in the last five, 10 years in Arabs is Arab warm blood crosses. And some of them are truly amazing. I have heard you know, that. The bloodlines that, yeah, the bloodlines that were showing up this year were really, really impressive. There was a, an Arab horse though that was by De Niro there was several by Cantucci there was an Arab um, Rousseau cross that I would have put in my trailer and brought home in a heartbeat uh, one of my students we just found a horse for her that is a pre-St. George Arab and the stallion was an Arabian the mare was a zealot line so he's registered also Dutch so it's really getting some quality horses that are smaller so that are easier for the average um, woman who's not six foot tall to, to handle on the ground. They've got that really engaging Arab personality and they've got the gates because there's the warm blood, blood in there. That's very interesting. That's nice. I mean, I just remembered we do have an Arab in the barn, but it's Meredith's retired horse. He's 26. <laughs> yeah, you, Philip, you own an Arab right now. Yes, you're married. Because of our union. You're, <laughs> you're married. You own an Arab. Well, What's wrong with Canadian you? nationals has Arab classes, Arab dressage classes. So you could go you and could go to the party. Yeah. Enjoy the party there. Liz, I'm going to oh, go tell go. him tomorrow that he's getting out of retirement, <laughs> going back to work. 26 <laughs> years yeah. old. I Let mean, me know how that goes down for you. Yeah, not good. <laughs> <laughs> but that's great. I mean, I mean, he was Meredith's first horse, a fantastic horse. He's got tons of personality. So, um, you know, they're great horses. There's yeah, there's no no reason to overlook. Um, some of these non-traditional breeds, they, you know, they have huge heart and they try really hard and, uh, and, um, you know, they might not cost you as much as, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollar warm blood. So, uh, I think it's fabulous. Every time we get a great, you know, non-traditional breed story on the radio, we're going to put it on and we love to hear the stories. People can send them in, send them to us. We'll bring, you know, maybe you'll get on the radio and we could talk about it. So that's great. Angie, Thank you so much for coming on. How do people find you on the internet and, and hear about your business? And, uh, and maybe you can help them out with their, uh, their Frisian era. Uh, we have a website, straightforwarddressage.com. And I also have a blog, Equichick at blogspot, blogspot.com. And on the blog, there's a couple of stories about Eclipse. And there's also some stories about Secret and the specific training paths that I've taken with them, which are a little bit different than the Warm Blood, but not drastically so, just a little different emphasis. But that might be interesting for someone who is riding a non-warm blood dressage horse. 
Fantastic. Well, I hope people check you out. That's great. Thank you so much for coming on the radio with us tonight. Well, lastly, before we leave you here, we have an email um, sent to us to talk a little bit about training. So we want to uh, we want to address that. I'm I'm going to read it, Reese, and then hopefully you can send sure. us out with uh, with this email. So uh, it says my topic has to do with amateur riders who are learning the high school movements, learning to ride I one, I two, and Grand Prix. What is the best way for us to school when no trainer is around? I think it is tough for those who have never really schooled the higher levels to know how to plan your session, making sure the horse is warmed up and then making that transition to working on the movements after you have the horse engaged through and collected. I guess what I'm trying to say is learning how to figure out how to get the horse ready to school those higher movements and then executing them. So, Reese, take us away. What do you think? Sure. I mean, this is this is a great question and I think always something... Um, you know, I, 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 this is from Laura. Hi, Laura and Micanopy. She's been on the show before and, and, uh, and actually she rides uh, my old international horse who is now her horse, uh, Gooberg's Casper. And her, her question is, is really focused on, on Casper as well. And he's older. He is, oh my goodness, he's in his twenties now. Um, and has been doing dressage his whole life. So I think with her question, it also centers around kind of also schooling a schoolmaster. Um, and I think these are great questions and questions that we as trainers always have to be careful with. So a couple tips um, for kind of schooling a schoolmaster. Um, and that is I don't do – once a horse knows extended trot, um, I don't do – on my old guys, older senior members, um, I don't do a ton of extended trot. Um, I think we've talked about it on the show before that that can lead to some suspensory issues and some soundness issues. So – that's one thing I don't do personally a lot. Um, and then also with half passes, I think you have to be careful um, as the movements get higher into the FEI levels, the angles of your half passes get a lot steeper. Um, and I think you have to be very careful, even when you school a Grand Prix horse, um, to be careful that you're not kind of abusing that half pass angle. Um, that's something that always worries me a little bit, um, that I'm not going to stress the horse too much with that. You can really work on, for example, half pass. You can work on that, an angle of a half pass using half pass to shoulder end to half pass without making it too steep of an angle. Um, so I think that's something you should always think about as you're working a horse at the higher levels. Um, you know, pirouettes, they say uh, with jumpers, they only have so many jumps in them. And I feel the same way with dressage horses. I think they only have so many pirouettes in them. They only have so many piafs in them. Um, so you have to be a little bit careful with schooling it. So kind of wrapping that around to the question, you know, how do you do that without a trainer? That's a very good question. I think that, um, you know, everybody, including uh, trainers, needs help. And and so what I would do is really lean on your personal instructor and say, okay, you know, in the lesson, let's say you ride once a week or twice a week, um, what are some things that we need to be working on? Um, and check yourself that way. I think that's really important. Um, I also am not a fan of schooling flying changes. If you have any issues with flying changes um, without a ground person um, or somebody that can spot a clean or late flying change, I think you have to be very careful with that. Um, I have even told students, please don't do flying changes if I'm not there. Um, and they, th they think, oh my gosh, but flying changes, if you school a lot wrong or incorrectly, they're very, very difficult to fix. 
Um, even on a schooled horse, they'll they'll get a little uh, funky with the changes. That's a technical dressage term, funky. Um, okay. uh, funky. Yeah, I, I funky before. Yeah, yeah, funky. They just get a little. One. Yeah, they get a little. <laughs> they get a little. Um, you know, confused. So, so in general, uh, with an older horse, I would be careful with the amount that you school. Always make sure that they're through and together and collected, and and you're using the scale of training before you do movements. I would watch the number of movements that you do. Make sure that you're not doing, you know, an older horse who's done half passes whole life doesn't need to do 25 um, lines of half passes or 25 pirouettes or so, you know, be careful with the numbers. And I also think you need to have a plan for the day. We always talk about a plan, but you know, if you're going to school canter work, then maybe you don't want to do as much trot work that day. Um, and I'm also a big fan with old horses to do a lot of walking. I think it's really good for their joints and it keeps them sound longer. So I, that's kind of my take on that. So I hope that that helps a little bit with anybody who has an older horse. Um, and also I think it's always helpful with an older horse to be, have a nice dialogue with your vet and a plan and how you work with things and, 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 and have that. Monitoring. Monitor, yeah. Monitoring. monitoring yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I just if if you can let me br- jump in for sorry, Philip. Yes, of course. I was I was on a <laughs> roll, Philip. <laughs> you were on a bit of a roll. <laughs> I, I, all great tips, but I think you know a couple things. Um, just back to the training a little bit. If you do a half pass and it doesn't feel great or something's wrong with it, a half pass is still just a, a summation of other things. So you can definitely go back and do some shouldering. Like if the half pass doesn't feel like it had good bend or good rhythm, I mean, go back and work on rhythm and bend and, and a little shoulder in and a little travair and then go back to half pass. You don't have to half pass over and then back again and over and back again to fix the problem. I think, you know, the problems in the higher level movements always come back to the basics. And so if you have good, strong basics, the, the upper level stuff is going to be no problem. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I like to think about those things, you know, and, and, you know, if a trainer gives you something to work on, you know, whether if it's in the half pass or if it's in a, a flying change or something, make sure you have all the components, all like the checklist, like, okay, this is what you need before you even attempt to go sideways or you, before you even attempt to make a flying change. Do you have, all, you know, do you have the right to ask for it? Do you have a quick canner? Do you have the right bend? Do you have the right rhythm? You know, and work on those things and then boom, half pass will happen. Flying change will happen. I mean, that's easy, right? So I mean, the, the difficult things and those, those are the things that you should be working on in schooling, um, you know, all the time and then attempting the upper level movements from time to time. I think that's, that's how I kind of approach those issues and, and, you know, work an older horse and work a, a trained horse. It, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, it's just solid basics and good, good riding. Yeah, exactly. That's about so. it. That's all I had to say. Love it. Thanks for jumping <laughs> in. No, I think that's great. And, and, um, we love, love, love listener, um, topics and questions. Keep them coming. Uh, don't be shy. We are happy to answer them as much as we can. And if we can't, we will find somebody that can. So perfect. Yeah. Great. Show. Well, another great show. <laughs> and, um, we will be taking next week off for Philip. You get a, you get to celebrate the American Thanksgiving. We did not. Uh, you, well, have, you didn't. Uh, yeah. Uh, was it Black Friday sale or something? Yes. Yeah. Let's see if somebody will have one for me. Yeah, you can have Black Friday. I can go shopping for you, no problem. 
Oh, okay. but um, <laughs> but everyone have a great Thanksgiving, and we look forward to talking to uh, being back in a few weeks. And you can December. find our it'll be sh- December by then. It'll be December. Can you believe it? This year has gone so fast. Okay. Um, but you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. You can like us on Facebook. Just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a great show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody keep your heels down, your shoulders back and have plenty of turkey next week and I'll talk to you in a few weeks. 